Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. Built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Between the Lines, the podcast that deciphers the handwriting, unfolds faded pages, and dips into the details of diaries, logbooks, and letters written during this same week, there or thereabouts, in 1943, some 80 years ago. Let's start with a quick recap of the situation. On the Eastern Front this week, Adolf Hitler orders the creation of the Eastern Wall, a long, strung-out line of defences on the eastern side of German-occupied territory in Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia. The United States signed a military assistance treaty with Ethiopia. And this is also the week that American liberators fly a record distance, some 2,500 miles from bases in Australia, to carry out the first bombing raid on the island of Borneo. Their mission, striking the oil reserves stored at Balkpapan, thereby interrupting supplies to Japanese mechanised forces. American and Canadian troops also invaded Kiska in the Aleutian Islands, anticipating heavy resistance. To their surprise, the 168 aircraft, 35,000 troops and 95 ships, found the Japanese had abandoned the island 17 days earlier. That did not, however, mean things went without a hitch. While the powers that be had anticipated that one in five of the first ashore might die, and that apprehension only increased when no Japanese appeared, the reality was that, sadly, friendly fire meant 32 men were killed in action, and there were another 130 casualties from Trenchfoot and Gangrene. Many of the infantry, quite simply, hadn't been issued with the right boots. On that rather sombre note, 
Actually, we're not going to hear from Major General Oscar Griswold this week. We'll start instead with a quick update from Captain Bertie Packer on HMS Warspite, anchored off Malta. Only a short entry from him, but I think it gives us a good indication of what he must have been like as a commanding officer. He has a deep connection with his ship and seems to understand exactly what makes his men tick. August the 8th. My latest air graph from Joy is June. Damned infuriating. A damned silly buzz running round the place that we are to go to Devonport to refit at the end of this month. Buzz like this only upsets the sailors, so I addressed them this morning. I started off. As your captain, and a person of unavoidably long experience, it is my duty to keep your feet on the right path. So today I am going to preach a short sermon. My text is taken from the first verse of the first chapter of the Book of Experience. Put not your faith in, short pause, buzzes. That got a good laugh, and all was well for telling them not to be so damned stupid. I hope it had some effect. I often doubt it. The ship is looking very well with a new coat of paint, the last we have. As I told the ship's company, the old lady is looking splendid in her new grey summer frock. A quick check-in on RSM Jack Ward next. Jack is, like the other men in the 56th Heavy Regiment, staying up to date with what's happening in Europe. The men would have received 8th Army news, with what was going on in every theatre. Sometimes, even out-of-date newspapers from England would reach them. So, being out in North Africa didn't mean they were out of touch. We find Jack on a course this week getting to grips with the six-pounder. First used at Gazala just a year or so earlier, the six-pounder anti-tank guns may have been ineffective when facing Tiger tanks or Panthers head-on, but more generally speaking, they were incredibly effective weapons. From May 1943 onwards, regimental anti-tank companies had nine 57mm guns each, and each battalion supported an anti-tank platoon with three guns. That gave a total of 18 six-pounders per regiment, which actually meant a fairly large number of capable gunners had to be pulled out of the lines and trained on this new equipment. It didn't take long, and it was well worth it. August 8th. Still here. Lots of fun getting new equipment into place. Had a lecture from the Corps Commander yesterday. He tells us when we do go, wherever we're going, we shall make history. <laughs> I wonder where it'll be. France, Greece... Holland or Germany? Roll on. Let's go and get it over. Still here, but going up to practice camp tomorrow. Received two air letters yesterday. One from Mum and one from Mick again. Tell us all about Bank August holiday weekend. <laughs> Michael's getting good results at school. I'm writing my number 50 airmail tonight. Getting cold at nights now. And they've taken away my blanket. Pfft. Of course they have. We'll find out what's happening with Harry Wilson next, over at the headquarters of Palestine Command. If you remember, Harry's also just been on a training course, brushing up his signal skills, and it's starting to sound as though there's something in the wind that might put those skills to good use. There are certainly quite a few high-grade ciphers coming in on the wires. Monday 9th. Busy last night. Many messages from GHQ Cairo were prefixed most secret. Officer decipher only. I got Captain Lee out of bed, but such a batch of prefixed messages poured in that Lee told me to carry on by myself and decipher them. 
In the end, Harris and I worked independently and Lee just signed. Tuesday 10th, deciphered a message of seven pages for the personal attention of Lieutenant Colonel Whitby Wilkinson. Most secret and officer-only signals continue to come in all day. The whole HQ are anxious to know what's in the wind. A busy cipher office with sealed messages going backwards and forwards between it is a sure indication of something. The other fellows called us griffs and tried a bit of subtle pumping. Back in the billet, quiet and out of the way of prying eyes, I perused the atlas. Seems to me I need to turn quite a few of these pages. Wednesday 11th, messages continue. The whole corps is under 36 hours notice to move. Last Monday I was inoculated and I felt feverish and weak. So was Joe Blackburn. Bill Penny caught sand fly fever and went to hospital today. Brian Birch came off duty with the news that Blackburn had been chosen to go with Ops HQ. Then his gaze fixed on me and he pointed his finger significantly. You, he began, and then he made a dramatic pause. Don't tell me, I said. I know, I'm going to lodge with Sergeant Hunt and we're sharing a cabin on the way over. No, replied Brian, smiling. You're going to 8th Indian Division. I was staggered. 8th Indian Division? Am I being loaned? Punished? Loaned and punished? No, said Brian. Posted. One of their MG operators has gone queer and they want another urgently. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from Between the Lines in just a moment. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Heading to the Med now, let's hear from Colonel Dr. Wilhelm Maus with 14th Panzer Corps. This week, Maus is on tour. He doesn't mention what his orders are, but by joining the dots from last week's entries, we can surmise that he's making a trip north to check on the Feld Lazarets, the field hospitals, that he's organising to support the front lines. 9th August. We travelled via Messina. It stayed light until Giardini, and then the night arrived. The landscape is getting paled blue with spooky shadows. English warships appear here almost every night and with their heavy guns fire onto the rocky walls above the roads and the roads themselves. Because of this they bring down a mass of rocks and with that block the road or dump huge piles of debris. We are in luck. Everything was quiet when we passed. The car kicks as it has to ride over the pile of debris that was left behind from the rocks that had fallen down because of the shelling. Once again, a delay. A towing vehicle had broken down with damage exactly at a steep position next to where a rock had come down. Italians, idly standing by, are put to work and have to shovel the debris away and level the terrain. Ten minutes of labor and the road is free again. On the horizons there are flashes, small sparks so seeming to light up the sky and go out. We arrive in the city area of Messina. The ruins of houses look eerie in the moonlight. 
The fingers of searchlights are grabbing bluish at the sky. The parachute flares hanging the sky over the straits like reddish illuminated grapes. We are searching for the exit over the mountains, the road to Palermo. Italians crawl from house caves and show us the way, which constantly bends into the city. Often there is the smell of corpses. Are they still entombed humans there? The world becomes free at last. We are getting out of the city. People sleep in foxholes along the road. Refugees who are looking for their shelter here from their destroyed homes. This is the horrific face of war. Back to Britain next for a sharp intake of breath, really, from Veer Hodgson. Veer is based in Notting Hill in North London. And over the last few months, she's made many entries in her diary about the Blitz. She's written about air raid sirens waking her up in the middle of the night about the unease and discomfort of taking cover when there's a raid on, and the total devastation that occurred, sometimes daily, during the Blitz. However, as a young woman, and a social worker, quite well-to-do really, Veer also travelled a lot, and often came into contact with people who weren't going through the same kind of experience. Remember, this isn't an era where social media or local television conveyed a national trend. Life was a lot more siloed in the 1940s. Listen carefully and you'll hear just how many contrasts she puts on the page in this week's diary. August 8th. Italy not having surrendered, we have begun bombing again. Milan, Turin, Naples and Genoa. The voice of Hitler is not heard on the air. He was full of speeches when the Germans had thousand more tanks, guns and planes than anyone else. What a contrast with Mr Churchill, who did so much to hearten us in those days of 1940. He, the bravest of us all and the only one who knew the worst about our position. It makes one shudder to think of it. General de Gaulle has at last taken the premier place. Apparently the intensity of his personality has taken many by surprise, but not me. When I heard him speak during the week of the fall of France, it was like dynamite across the air. My old school friend Helen Netby arrived. I learned from her that the north of England is not so short of food. At her school, they use their own eggs and produce. She has a cottage on the Yorkshire Moors. Talked of our visit many years ago to Hayworth Parsonage. Also the time when she rode me on the lake of Lugano. A glorious day that was, and we walked down a mountain covered with primroses. She is full of plans for the future, feeling like me that no one wants to stay in teaching all their lives. Helen had never seen Hampton Court before. She does not feel the cold. We went into the maze, but the middle eluded me this time. Ate lunch under a yew tree. The scent of helotrope in the garden enchanted me. We saw the vine. Lovely dark grapes hanging so regularly they looked like a tapestry pattern. I showed her a few bomb places in Notting Hill, because these Yorkshire people don't really understand the Blitz. Let's stay here for a moment to hear from the Blythes, Ma and her family in Edinburgh and Flight Lieutenant David Nairn Blythe, who's overseas and now getting some real airtime in after getting his wings. First we'll hear from Julia, or Ma, and then we'll hear from David. August the 8th. Dear David, Delighted to receive your aircrafts from the last week in July this morning. By the same mail, we also received a couple of notifications from Jim, Do you remember him? I shall send them on to you. We were very anxious to hear how he was getting along. I think you'll remember that he'd gone off for a while to the front 
and we hadn't heard from him. Your aircrafts are very dear to us, David. We just want to say thanks for your kindness to us, as we know you have a full schedule and must focus on what's most important. Jim's letters have really put things into perspective. Whatever you are doing, our family life must peel into insignificance. I think it was the wedding last week that brought it all home to us. I must tell you that I've heard nothing about the increase in my allotment so far, but I will let you know what's happening. Again, I'm not sure that it's really important in comparison. An update on that wedding cake that Joan was going to send you. I'm afraid I have some worse news. The post office can't accept foods. She was desperately wanting to send you some cigarettes instead, but Joan told her you had plenty of everything. Anyway, I shall leave us there for now. Dad's having some trouble with his watch, and I must go and sort him out. He misses you, David, as do I. All my love, Ma. August 8th. Dear Ma, Well, it's the news you were expecting, I'm afraid. I've been posted from here. It may even be in the next couple of days. And I do know I'm going west now. It will be for some work that takes me out of communication for a while. There's a rumour that I might get to New York at some point, and I'd like to go to Cleveland again too, but it is hard to convey, and please do try to explain this to Joan, how difficult it is to cover this many miles in the ground, and yet it is a delight in the air. I'm going to make every effort to get to New York, I've decided. That great blithe determination drives us all, eh? Ma, I'm afraid it'll be a very long time before I'm home. It looks as though things are going to carry on as they are, if you know what I mean. And it may do for some time. Although I know you're just as anxious as I am that we see each other soon, I think that you'll agree that in some ways I'm better off being out here. I'll be writing to you occasionally, you could be sure of that. But you might want to explain it to Joan. Your loving son, David. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We do hope you found a little insight and were briefly entertained as we were reading Between the Lines. Between the Lines is a We Have Ways production. Julia Mar Blythe is read by Ruth Sillers. David Blythe is read by Matthew Malthouse. Oscar Griswold is read by Michael Lyons. Chester Hansen is read by Lance Fuller. Via Hodgson is read by Rachel Holland. Heinz Knocker is read by Lucas Veschler. Bertie Packer is read by Paul Waggett. Jack Ward is read by Adam Jarrell. Harry Wilson is read by Joel Emery. Narration is by James Holland and Al Murray. Editing by John Gill and Joey McCarthy. Written and produced by Merrin Walters. The executive producer is Tony Pastor.
I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy, and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.